0: what are your values? Do you want flexibility? Do you want to be able to go out to eat? Do you want to be able to you know, be social with friends? Do you want to ha- have minimal to no symptoms? And you kind of have to start balancing what's most important.
1: Dr. Megan Taylor is joining me today and she has a lot of information about SIBO. She's a SIBO patient herself. She's one of the most compassionate, bright SIBO practitioners out there. And she has a lot of information for us today about prokinetics, and also about what to do about constipation. What are these coffee enemas? How can you get things moving? And if you don't know what a prokinetic is, it is essential that you learn, and it is one of the biggest keys to helping prevent relapse of SIBO. It's not a laxative necessarily, so it's a big distinction you really need to understand, but she does talk about laxatives in this episode. So let's get things moving, so to speak. One of my very favorite people is here, Dr. Megan Taylor, and she is an expert in SIBO. She works with a lot of kids and their families when the kids have SIBO. So we're going to learn about that. But also she's had SIBO herself and her story is incredible. And we're going to learn from her and also get some inspiration because she's a smile on her face more often than not. And I know a lot of us would like to live that way. (laughs) Hi. 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 So how did you discover that you had SIBO?
0: It was a long journey. I'll say that, um, like most of us who've kind of entered into this world, I had a had an amazing team of doctors, and they worked nonstop. You know, I was that kid who had gut stuff, and it go- continued on into young adulthood and teenagehood, and into my twenties, and could never really figure out why. Right? Get those IBS diagnoses that all of us have had, and I had a wonderful doctor who gave me the diagnosis and um, was able to run the test she just had an inkling. Actually, Dr. You probably might be interviewing Whitney Hayes. Um, and so she had an inkling. We did the test. I got diagnosed and it just, everything fell into place. It made so much sense. And I felt so empowered to have that knowledge. So that's kind of been my journey. And then it's
1: been quite a process
0: just since the diagnosis, of course, as it's it is It's such for a boomerang, isn't it? Yeah. Because
1: you're like so relieved you finally have the diagnosis yeah. and you think, got it. Yeah. This is going to be easy. Yeah. And it's not. It's not easy. And I think that that honestly is probably
0: the most important thing for anybody to know when they're entering into this world, when they get diagnosed at first with small intestine bacterial overgrowth, is this is not just a quick, you know, quick diagnosis, quick treatment, then we're done, right? And we, and we feel all better. That can happen for some people. And there are those cases. But a vast majority of folks, it's a chronic condition. And we have to kind of be prepared um, with that knowledge when we enter into treatments and sort of navigating, what does it mean to have a chronic case?
1: How did you How do do finally overcome your SIBO or SIBO? And tell us about the imaging you had done. So I think
0: the most important thing when you first get diagnosed with SIBO is to understand that SIBO is not really a diagnosis, right? SIBO is, happens as a result of some other underlying condition. So when I went through my own process of first getting diagnosed, I didn't really know that. And I just thought, oh great, I've got a diagnosis. I'm going to treat it. I'm going to feel better. Turns out you can do that time and time and time again, right? And it always, I shouldn't say always, often comes back. And so in terms of trying to navigate, how do we get to that underlying cause? There's a lot of things that people can do. And one of the things that I did in my process was doing something called a small bowel follow-through. And this is a imaging option. It's basically a series of x-rays that are done after you swallow a radioactive not a, not, not not what all of us okay. want to do, but you swallow sort of a radioactive milkshake, they call it. It doesn't have milk, so don't have to worry about lactose intolerance. No, I just but have to worry yeah. about you don't have to worry right. about radioactivity. It doesn't get absorbed, which is great. It goes just through through the intestinal tract, comes out the other end, but it basically helps you image the, the GI tract from mouth all the way through and assess for what we consider one of the big risk factors for development of SIBO, which are adhesions in the abdomen, right? Scar tissue that can form after surgeries, infections, appendicitis, things like that. And I had that the procedure done, which was great. Now I know how to explain it to patients. It is quite a experience but it showed that i have um a small blockage kind of early in my small intestine that allows for my bacterial overgrowth to reoccur time and time and time again and so i am one of those chronic cases that i'm finding most most of my patients and my fellow folks that have SIBOR. are so. so how do you treat how do you live with that how do you treat yeah. that on a daily basis it's a really good question. And I think it's the most important question, honestly, because now that we're learning more and more that this is really a chronic condition, we can feel better after treatment. A lot of us will for, you know, those couple of weeks after before we relapse. It's a lot around learning how to live with it. And I don't mean to sound defeatist when I say that because that can kind of come off that way just giving up and hiding under the covers and not wanting to really work at it. You absolutely do, right? You are empowered with this knowledge that you have bacteria who've taken up residence in your small intestine, right? They shouldn't really be there, but we're going to learn how to be good playmates here mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, share this body. And you have the knowledge about what foods, right? a lot of folks follow, learn that like, wow, I really can't eat these high FODMAPS foods. I'm sure you've talked about that or foods high in fermentable starches, things like that. And so you get, you get your, you accumulate your tool basket. And that's really what I had to do. I had to decide what do I want to do? What, what parts of my sort of SIBO treatment do I want to implement in a long-term way? If that's dietary modification or occasional treatments for SIBO. And then what do I want to do around really moving towards like the way I want to live, right? It's kind of a balance, right? How much treatment do we want to bring in and how do we really want to live our lives. And I think that's honestly the more interesting question You have to decide, like, what are your values? Do you want flexibility? Do you want to be able to go out to eat? Do you want to be able to you know, be social with friends? Do you want to have minimal to no symptoms? And you kind of have to start balancing what's most important. So I often will talk with my patients kind of first off when we're kind of navigating a chronic case, what are your values? What is most important to you? How do we do this so that you're not, you don't fall in the trap of having to do it perfectly, but you learn how to live with this chronic condition. It's hard. It's not an easy process. But I think if you have a good team, it's doable. Right. And you can live the life. And I've, I know that for myself now. And having gone through it myself, you can live the life you want to live with a chronic case of SIBO. You need a lot of support and the you right need kind of, a support. Lot of support. And yeah. I,
1: you know, part of me is like, what? No, I want to get this thing totally gone. Right. You know, I'm three years in now, right. although I've had it probably since I was five. Right. So I've been living with it without knowing what the name yeah. of it was and haven't really been doing that well. Right. So if, I guess it's kind of the different, you know, phases of acceptance and grief. <laughs> That's really it. I would say
0: acceptance is huge. It's huge. The, And I would say that that was probably a huge step in my healing journey and something that I really encourage in patients. It's a hard, it's hard. It's hard to accept, accept any chronic condition, but what you can to accept that, like, this body, right? This body that's gone through its life history, right? Mm-hmm. Exposed to things that we can't change now, experience things that we can't change now. How do we accept this body with what we've got? And I honestly think in that acceptance, healing happens, which is really—I didn't think—I don't think I really knew that when I started this process. I really was like resisted. No, I want this to be done. I want—I want to get over it. I can get over it. I went through all the right. phases, right? Yeah. That all of us do. And it wasn't until I, in the last several years, was able to step back and say, no, this is me. This is what I've got going on. Things have shifted dramatically. I'd say that is actually almost the key. That is fantastic. Which is a hard thing to say to somebody who's in the midst of struggling and suffering and absolutely something that's a long-term process. But I'd say
1: that's it. In conjunction with doing, maybe like do herbals every day. How what, what what's a tip you yeah. have? Yeah, so the practical it, depend, level. it depends on the person, right? And it depends
0: on their underlying causes. So typically, we'll use a combination of approaches. So diet is huge. If somebody has a chronic case, they're off. They're likely going to be somebody who needs to avoid, you know, whatever their big triggers are. And everybody's different. Could be garlic. Could be onions. Could be. Broccoli and Brussels sprouts, some of the most delicious, <laughs> delicious veggies that we're told to eat a lot, um, could be grains or beans. So you just know that those foods don't really sit well with you. Maybe they're things you can only have on occasion that you enjoy, and then it's just, and then uh, most of the other time you're not going to do it because it's not worth it, not worth the symptoms, right? right? So that's huge. Dietary modification. We got to be careful there because long-term avoidance of high FODMAPs foods can be impactful to our large intestine health. So we have to. Kind of balance that we want to support our large intestine microbiome, which we know does so much for us, but be able to make sure that we keep symptoms kind of under control. So that's first, diet. Second, antimicrobials absolutely can be be in the mix. A lot of with our, with a lot of our chronic uh, patients using rotating herbal antimicrobials is a, is a common thing. They might do the, be on one for two weeks at a time and then do another for the next two weeks. Again, that should be done with a healthcare provider because of it's course. important not to be on those long-term without some sort of monitoring. Prokinetic is huge, and I'm sure they've had many conversations about those. Depending on your underlying cause, most people with chronic cases need to be on a prokinetic
1: potentially lifelong. And so finding one that really works for your body key. Before we move on from there, I want to know what your take is on the different major prokinetics that are available Mm -hmm. because it's very confusing. I think when people hear low-dose erythromycin, Mm -hmm. what? Yeah. isn't that uh, an antibiotic? Yeah, right, right. So can you just <laughs> right. take us through those? Yeah,
0: what the options are? Yeah. So there's there's several. There's pharmaceutical options. So low-dose erythromycin is probably the most common and probably the most well-studied. I'm not an expert on that, and there's a lot of great research papers out about erythromycin, but it really supports small intestine motility. Got to remember, you might be constipated and still have poor small intestine motility. So if you have SIBO you can kind of be guaranteed that something's going on motility wise in the small intestine, meaning you're not moving the bacteria out like you should be. So regardless of whether constipation or diarrhea is present. So low dose erythromycin is one. It's given in very, very small doses, around 50 milligrams at night before bed. It is not at that level. We do not believe that it's having much of an antibiotic effect. Well, we can't be positive. We can't be sure Um, those those particular studies haven't been done. Um, We do know, though, that it's really successful in those small doses to move the small intestine to encourage that motility. So that's probably the most common one used pharmaceutically. Another one that's used less, less often because it's not FDA approved yet in the United States, though it will be soon, is Resilor or Procalipride. This is something used for chronic constipation. Right now, predominantly in Europe, it can be really successful, but you have to work with somebody who is willing to help you get access to that medication. Works great for somebody who needs a prokinetic and also has constipation. Can be really helpful. What do you think about LDN? I, that's a great one to bring up because if there's a lot of information online about it, I think it's a fantastic medication. LDN stands for low dose naltrexone. Naltrexone in high doses is actually used to treat um, addictions, which is interesting. So people hmm. can see it and they research and they're like, I don't have addictions. Why are you wanting to prescribe this to me? At low doses, it works really effectively to modulate the immune system and um, which can be really useful in patients who have an immune component to their SIBO or have some sort of co-occurring autoimmunity or allergies or something that requires sort of a little help on the immune system level. I love it. I use it a ton. I even use it in certain kids with conditions like inflammatory bowel disease who have that sort of, again, autoimmune kind of piece. In terms of a prokinetic though, that's where we have to, we always kind of are wondering, is it really as effective? We don't really know. We have some docs who really swear by it, who say, yes, absolutely. It's a fantastic prokinetic, but we're not actually, I'd say in clinical practice, we see that it's not often strong enough. So if we give LDN, we almost always will give another prokinetic to kind of help give it a little oomph and help the migrating motor complex.
1: With LDN, some people have weird dreams. Yes. Yes. And so what is up
0: with that? That is very
1: confusing to me. I
0: know, it's so funny. It's it's actually great. It's my favorite thing. Like, okay, so the only side effect you're likely to experience is these crazy vivid dreams that can happen. Um restless sleep is another thing. Insomnia for folks that struggle with that. I don't actually know why. What we know is that it's causing a sort of internal endorphin sort of Burst in the body, which happens normally as we sleep. It's one of the, the ways that sleep is so restorative for our bodies, is that we get that natural endorphin boost. Endorphins are sort of our, our our version of opiates, help healing and pain and growth. And so the low-dose naltrexone kind of stimulates that, like makes it gives it a little bit more oomph, which we know in people with autoimmunity is like kind of not, it's not, their opiate bursts aren't really, or their endorphin bursts aren't really happening to as, as strong a degree as sort of healthy people walking around. So it, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily making it, them stronger, but just sort of helping them kind of come up to even where, how most people um, are. Why that causes vivid dreams, I don't really know. I, it just does. It, uh, In I, some people, some people not at all. Some people, their dreams don't change at all, but other people, it's a wild experience.
1: I had heard that mm-hmm. and I was like, as usual, I said, "Oh, that won't happen to me. Oh, I don't have SIBO. Oh, I don't have Lyme. Oh, no, that is somebody else." Mm-hmm. Anyway, so there I am. I'm taking my LDN as an experiment, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Whoa, that was a weird dream." Yes. And then it happened again. I'm like, "Okay, I'm not nuts. It really it is really happening." It really does happening.
0: I'd say for most folks, that kind of that that sort of that'll often peter off after the first couple of weeks, and you won't have such so many vivid dreams. Other people. It's just part of the. So it's worth it's giving it a shot. It's worth, worth giving it a couple shot. For weeks. And I'd actually say that some people really, it might be rare, but some people actually really like the dreams. They might not dream very much and suddenly they're oh. like, oh my
1: gosh, I'm dreaming. It's great. So Yeah, I found it very disturbing. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you're the other camp. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, as usual. Anyway, I, I think I'm going to go try it again then,
0: yeah. maybe. It's okay. worth it. There's great resources online. Lodosnaltrexone.org is a fantastic uh, website. LDN Research Trust is another fantastic website. They do conferences every year for, for practitioners, um, but also have a lot of information out there for patients. And then there's a great book called the LDN book. <laughs> That's wonderful. It's a compilation of the ways LDN is used for different conditions, everything from depression to autoimmune hypo- hypothyroidism to restless leg syndrome, which a lot of SIBO patients have. So it's a pretty cool read, very dense, little medical, but...
1: No, that's it's fascinating, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and, and there's some doctors that like that's their specialty. Yes. I specialize in LDN. Exactly, it's fascinating. Yeah. So, all right, some more research for all of us to yes. do in our free time. Yeah. Okay, you're going to talk about the herbals. Yes, herbal prokinetic options. So, there's a few. Historically, we
0: used a lot of Iberogast. Iberogast is a German formulation. People will say that they grew up having it in their medical cab. You know, their their ca- cabinets, their um, bathroom cabinets. As a child, and it is a formulation that's been around for a really long time, it's got a bunch of herbs in it, things like chamomile and peppermint and um, things that help to sort of soothe the gastrointestinal tract, kind of help deal with gassiness post-meal. Um, it's had a fantastic number of studies on it. We use it at night before bed, similar to other prokinetics. You can also take it with meals, which is great. I just had a patient yesterday who said she loved the taste, but it's true. There's, it, people vary across the board. It is based in alcohol and some people just do not like tinctures. There's strong herbs in it. So it, it can be a little bothersome to folks. Definitely a lot of bitter agents in that. So taking it with water is always really helpful. Some people even plug their nose and take the shot and that kind of helps decrease the taste.
1: It does help. So I, uh, It well, sounds I, insane, but it does I'll help. I'll do, do yeah. that with
0: some people. With my kids that are taking it, I've been amazed. Some kids will just take it no problem, which is amazing. But sometimes we'll put it in a little white grape juice. It's sugar, right? But it's not a complex sugar. It's not likely going to worsen their SIBO. It's going to get absorbed really quick. And if they just have, you know... An ounce and a little bit of water with a a beer gas, they do just fine.
1: And how many drops do you usually suggest? Depending on
0: how you're dosing it, 20 drops with meals as an adult, 10 drops with kids. And then at night before bed, we might do anywhere from 40 to 60 drops for adults, maybe 20 to 40 drops for kids, depending on their size. I'd say the one downside to it is people who have reflux, heartburn, it does have a little peppermint. Peppermint can worsen heartburn in some people. And so I'd say maybe a rule for all SIBO patients across the board when they try anything, start slow and start low, right? Like low dose increase slowly over time. Don't try to slam those 60 drops right away. You'll likely get an aggravation.
1: So okay. I recommend that. So that actually leads me to Motilpro. Is that how you say yes. it? Yeah. Motil Pro. Motilpro. 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 <laughs> um, because that's herbal. Yes. And that has a lot of ginger in it. It's got a ton of ginger. It's a combination
0: product. So it's herbal and nutraceutical. So there is a little 5-HTP, which is the precursor to serotonin, really important neurotransmitter for gut motility, but it's got a ton of ginger. And a lot of times folks will get aggravated by that. They get what we call ginger burn, kind of another version of heartburn because you're having to take it at night before bed. That makes it even worse, right? You take it, you lay down, you're like, ah, it's horrible. So a couple tricks there. On an empty stomach so eat your meal wait two hours then take it don't lay down for 30 minutes after and drink plenty of water so that seems to help minimize again you can start low just one cap and then mm-hmm. increase up to the we usually recommend about three caps at night before bed so that's kind of kind of how we can work work that in i'd say the other thing and this is something that's not often talked about with prokinetics If you struggle with constipation, and that's kind of the big symptom that you're working with with your SIBO, people who have constipation typically really, really struggle with prokinetics. And there's a lot of good science-y stuff we could get into to explain why, but that buildup of pressure as a result of constipation often will contribute to the tendency to develop reflux. So the more you can be regular with your bowel movements, using any and all means to do so that are healthy and safe for your body, it'll help. It'll make prokinetics more manageable. So, are you thinking like magnesium? Yeah, definitely. And what, what's the kind of magnesium? I love magnesium citrate. I think it's a good ver- kind of a good intermediary. Magnesium oxide is the least absorbable, right? We're wanting a magnesium that's not very absorbable. We mm-hmm. want it to stay actually in our gastrointestinal tract, attract water, and act as that osmotic laxative. Mm-hmm. Magnesium oxide, probably on the far end, really not absorbable, will really work as a laxative. I almost think it's sometimes too strong for patients. Not always. Mm -hmm. I really like magnesium citrate. I think it's a little easier to manipulate. So again, we start low, maybe 150 milligrams-ish at night before bed, and then we work up. Just like any medication, any supplement, any herb, you got to talk to somebody before you start taking it because there are co-occurring conditions you could have that could be worsened or aggravated when you start things like this. But It's usually a safe bet from a laxative perspective for patients with constipation.
1: What do you think about, like, the um, cascara sagrada, which is so common? Yeah, or senates. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are
0: great for short-term use. Most people with chronic constipation have been using them for a long time. A lot of people relied on them a lot. The danger there is that you can get quite dependent on irritant laxatives like that. It can make it really difficult to stimulate your own bowel function. So getting off of them is really challenging. And they do actually start in some people to color the walls of the colon Mm -hmm. and actually can make it difficult to detect colon cancer on screening or precursors to colon cancer when you're doing screening colonoscopy, for example. So not my favorite thing, not my favorite thing to use all the time. I will say, though, that patients who, who really struggle, who need to use it once a month, not not such a bad bad mm-hmm. idea if they need something to get going. And then, of course, after you've had any maybe procedures or you've had to take opiate medications that really slow down
1: gastrointestinal motility, that can be really helpful. So there's also um, this huge group of people that are doing something and have been doing it for a long time. It's an yeah. old school uh, health food trick, mm-hmm. and that is the ye coffee Anima. <laughs> which when I first heard about this was probably 20 years ago, and I was like, that... It's so weird. I'm not even going to ask you what you mean about that because it just sounds insane. Yeah. So, like, are you getting like folders? You're like, is this like, <laughs> right. what is going on here? <laughs> Can you just tell me your take on coffee enemas yeah. and what are the benefits? And uh, if yeah. you gotta go, you gotta go. And would that be a good you idea? You gotta
0: go. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Is a lot of patients just getting their bowels moving makes such a difference. They'll be surprised, right? The coffee enema, again, it, it's kind of an irritant laxative. Mm-hmm. So it's not something we want to rely on. I don't, I don't think it's something that's bad to use. I think on occasion it's really great. And coffee is rich in a lot of the um, antioxidants and things that we want to have in our body. That's why all the research is coming out saying coffee's good for you, a cup a day, you know, that sort of thing. So putting it in our bodies is not a big, bad, bad thing necessarily. But again, going back to that irritant laxative piece, you start to rely on it, and some people really do. So I really recommend um, over coffee enemas using something like saline or something like that to help, which is a little less irritant. Again, more acting as an osmotic laxative to help hydrate the stool and make it kind of easier to pass. Okay. So that's, that's my preference. Now you gotta yeah. go. So we, yeah. we, we typically will work with patients to come up with a whole host of options right. for you know tools and tricks that they have in their tool basket to make sure that they're moving their bowels.
1: Thanks again to Dr. Taylor for being here. Her generosity and compassion always inspires me. I hope you're inspired to take action, to go to your doctor and talk to them about what Dr. Taylor has been teaching us today. I also wanna mention our sponsor Just Thrive Probiotic. This is a probiotic that I use personally. There are many reasons why I love it, but here are two of them. It packs an antioxidant punch and it contains strains, that produce vitamins and antioxidants, including beta-carotene, B vitamins, lycopene, vitamin K2, right inside your gut. Isn't our body amazing? Well, that's just one of the many reasons. Also, there are strains in Just Thrive Probiotic that have been studied to prove very hopeful when it comes to people with SIBO. I thought you might want to experiment with it too. Plus, of course, it's gluten-free and all the good stuff. No fillers, super safe. And personally, when I when I had had my root canal out, I used it and had heard great testimonials. But I was like, yeah, I don't know, I'm not sure. And loved it. I really noticed the difference, which is a big statement for me because I am not usually experiencing differences with supplements and probiotics, but this one did the trick for me. So maybe it's going to do the trick for you. Head on over to thriveprobiotic.com. See you later. Can't wait to hear your results too.